uh, continue tonight the studies that we've been having on Ruth, on the book of Ruth. We'll come tonight to Ruth chapter 3. So Ruth chapter 3 on page 269 of the Church Bible. We'll begin at verse 23 of chapter 2. It's the verse before chapter 3. If you remember back to the story so far, Naomi and her husband left Israel because of the famine when they were in a foreign land. Naomi's husband and her two boys died. She was left with Ruth and um, Orpah, thank you. Ruth and Orpah, he, uh, their son's widows. She returns to Bethlehem. She's destitute. She has nothing. Uh, they're in an awful plight. Uh, Ruth goes out into the fields to glean what grain she can and she just happens with a marvellous stroke of luck to end up in the one field, uh, the field of the one man who can, who can redeem her, give her a hope, give her a future. And of course it's not luck, it's God's hand, it's God's providence. And it uh, turns out that, that Boaz is in a position to, to redeem Ruth and Naomi to give them a hope and a future and we come to chapter 3 and the question facing us well is he going to do it how is he going to do it how is Ruth going to be redeemed by Boaz so we come to Ruth chapter 3 we'll begin at the verse before chapter 3 so Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law one day Naomi her mother-in-law said to her my daughter Should I not try to find a home for you, where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself. Put on your best clothes. Then, go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down... Note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night something startled the man and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you. My daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning, 
So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised. And he said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her, and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, till you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. We end our reading of God's word there. The Bibles are with chapter 3, page 269. Ruth chapter 3, page 269. Last time we left the story of Ruth and Naomi on the knife edge. Naomi and Ruth are widows. They're destitute, they're vulnerable, they're helpless. No one to provide for them, no one to protect them. There's no one to buy Naomi's land to keep her stake, her family stake in God's kingdom in Israel. There's no heirs to carry on the family line. Naomi's family are about to be blotted out from Israel, blotted out from God's people. It's a grim situation. There is one ray of hope though. God in his law had very graciously provided for times such as these. When the land was about to pass out of the family, when a man had died with no sons to carry on the family name and land, God's law provided for a kinsman redeemer, someone who would buy the land and provide an heir for the family, keep the land in the family, keep the family name in Israel, that they might be part of the people of God. A hero could step in, a hero could intervene and rescue the Redeemer. We saw last time, if you can remember back, how the Redeemer, this kinsman Redeemer, had to be able to redeem the family, had to have the means to buy back the land, had to have a certain measure of wealth had to be related, had to be part of the family. He was a kinsman redeemer. He had to be a member of Ruth or sorry, of Naomi's wider family. And he had to be willing to redeem. Couldn't be forced into it. Had to be willing. So it had to be someone of grace towards the, the widowed, destitute outsider Ruth. Someone who is a undeserving, unlikely choice as a wife. And there just so happens to be such a man in Bethlehem. Boaz, chapter 2 tells us he's a wealthy man, wealthy man. We see that he's part, he's related to Elimelech, Naomi's former husband. He's part of the family. And chapter 2, the picture of him, he just comes across as a gracious and compassionate man. And it just so happened that Ruth ends up in his field, of all the fields in Bethlehem, the glean barley. And it just so happens that he gives every indication of being a willing kinsman redeemer. Between chapters 2 and chapters, chapter 3, two months pass. Moves from the start of the barley harvest to the end of the barley harvest. And incidentally, it's also two months since I preached on Ruth chapter 2. So we're having the story of Ruth in real time tonight. As it happened, 
It's the end of the barley and the wheat harvest. It's a time for threshing and winnowing. The men would go out to the threshing floors, hard places of rock. They'd separate the grain from the stuff that they didn't want. And it was a big task. Everyone was involved out in the threshing floors away from the city. And this is where chapter 3 transpires. Ruth and Naomi need redemption. How can they get it? On the one hand, there is a redeemer. There's Boaz. On the other hand, they need a redeemer. How can they approach him? How can they bring the two together? How can they get Boaz to redeem them? That's the question that we answer tonight. How do we approach the Redeemer? How do we get redeemed? That's a vitally important question. Because all of us need a Redeemer. Every one of us needs a Redeemer. We are spiritually destitute, vulnerable, helpless. Just as the widows were we're physically destitute and vulnerable and helps. We're spiritually destitute. We're slaves to sin. We're not able not to sin. We've no choice in whether we sin or not. We're sinners and we're slaves to sin. We've no stake in God's kingdom. We've no future in God's kingdom. No future with God's people. We need a redeemer. And there is a redeemer. There is one who's able to pay the infinite debt that our sin has incurred. One who's part of our family, who's our brother, who's one of us, a man, a human like us. There's one who's willing and gracious and compassionate, Jesus. How do we come to him? How do we get him to redeem us? How do we approach our redeemer? Really the question we're asking tonight is, how do we become a Christian? Or for us who are Christians, how do we approach our redeemer? How do we get help when we need help? From our Saviour and Redeemer. The first thing we see tonight. About approaching the Redeemer. Is it's not by our own schemes. Approaching the Redeemer. Not by our own schemes. Since these women need a Redeemer. And there is a highly eligible male available. In verses 1 to 4. Naomi hatches a plan. Boaz is out at the threshing floor. He's outside the city. He's taking advantage of the cool evening breeze to winnow the barley. He'll be spending the night there to make sure it's not stolen. And so Naomi tells Ruth to go, wash, get dressed and go out to the threshing floor. face of it, it might seem like good advice. If you want to catch a man, it's good to have a bath. If you want to get a husband, it's good to put on perfume. And it's good to go to the place where he is. You've got to be in it to win it. And she's going to go out and spend the night there. So she needs to wrap up warm with her long outer garment. Covers her head to foot. Our translation says that her best clothes. It's not really that. It's just a word for a normal outer garment. She's going to be out in the dark. So there's no point her being dolled up in the nines. There's no street lights. So it's a, it's a long garment. Head to foot that will keep her warm. Double up as a blanket. She's going out to spend the night at the threshing floor. And Naomi's plan, she tells Ruth to remain hidden until Boaz is eaten and drunk and then the hubbub has died down. She's to observe where Boaz lies down. She's to wait until Boaz is asleep. She's to go to him, pull the blanket back from over his, over his feet, lie down at his feet and wait for him to wake up and tell her what to do. What sort of plan does that seem like to you? I think it's a good plan to get Ruth and 
Boaz some important alone time so they can talk and work things out. Think about it. A man and a woman alone at night. There's a certain particular type of lady who frequented threshing floors during the winnowing time. Winnowing time was a time of immorality. The threshing floors away out of the town were notorious. Common sense says this is not a good plan. And then there's the language in the verses, especially verse 4. Uncover his feet and lie down. Uncover his feet and lie down. They maybe don't seem very bad to us, but these three words, uncover and feet and lie down, these three words in verse 4 are all highly loaded euphemisms. They can have an altogether different meaning from, the, from what's the plain obvious meaning. So I'm not sure what Naomi's plan is exactly, what she's hoping to come out of it. She's looking for security. Verse 1, she, you know, she wants a home for Ruth. But I'm not sure if she's trying to get them a chance to talk together. Or she's trying to manoeuvre Ruth into a place where she can propose to Boaz. Or worse, is she trying to put Boaz in a position where he's compromised and he's forced to marry and redeem uh, Ruth? Whatever her thinking, this is a bad idea. The whole venture is a risky one. Three possible outcomes. Boaz accepts Ruth's overtures. And both of them are compromised. Or else Boaz shoes her away, thinking that she's some sort of loose woman and he wants nothing to do with her. Or he might just recognise the true intent of this heart. It's highly risky. risky. It's uncertain. Potentially both of them could be compromised. Even if Boaz takes this as Ruth proposing to him, it's a woman proposing to a man. It's a younger person proposing to an older person. It's a field worker proposing to a field owner. It's a foreigner proposing to an Israelite. Just not done. It's risky. One writer says of Naomi's plan, it was doomed from the beginning. It was a hopeless gamble. There is so much hanging in the balance here. And Naomi comes up with this harebrained scheme. In verse 5 to 7 we read of Ruth, the young, impressionable Christian, doing everything that Naomi suggests. She goes out to the threshing floor, she remains out of sight until after the meal. Boaz has finished his dinner. Verse 7 says he was in good spirits or his heart was good. You know, that feeling of deep happiness and contentment that comes after a good feed. Picture Boaz lies down for the night at the end of the pile of grain. Smile on his face, his belly's full, hands behind his head, staring at the beautiful stars. Maybe he's even daydreaming of Ruth. He's in good spirits. His heart was good. Some people read a lot into verse 7 and he's good spirits. Had a wee bit too much to drink. He might have been drunk. I don't think that really fits with what we know of Boaz. All the way through the book he's a righteous man. Doesn't fit with his character. So he lies down, happy. Ruth sneaks up on him, stealthily, quietly. The only noise she can hear is the thumping of her heart. And she thinks everyone else can hear this too. Every noise is magnified. Bird calls out and Boaz starts, Ruth freezes. 
and he settles again and she breathes a sigh of relief and she creeps closer to Boaz ever so softly pulls back the blanket from his feet and she lies down and we the audience were meant to feel the tension here's a man and a woman sleeping together alone at night they're on the edge of the, of the, of the threshing floor there's all the ambiguity of the language, the euphemisms, double entendres. It's all adding to the drama. You picture the original here saying, she did what? You don't mean, did she really do that? Or do you just mean she pulled the blanket back? It's a foolhardy scheme. At best, at best, it's putting Ruth in danger. At worst, Naomi's trying to manipulate Boaz, the Redeemer. This is how not to approach the Redeemer. How do we approach the Redeemer? It's not by our schemes. It's not by our manipulations. How often though we try to do this. We try to dress ourselves up. And manipulate God. Into doing what we want. Something we really want. Or something we really want help with. We want God to give us something. We dress up in the, the, the dress of good deeds. Put on the perfume of church attendance. The makeup of reading our Bibles and praying. We try extra hard to manipulate God or please God into doing what we want. We try extra hard. We pray particularly for that one thing. To try and manipulate God into doing what we want. We can't manipulate God. We can't force him into your mould doing what you want. Naomi's goal here is admirable. Verse 1. She, she wants a home for for Ruth, she wants security. She knows that the only way to receive security is through a redeemer, through Boaz. She wants a good thing. She looks for it in the right place in Boaz. He's the one who can help. But she goes about it totally the wrong way. It's the right thing in the wrong way. Maybe you come to church tonight looking for a redeemer. You want to be saved. You want to go to heaven. You want to be a Christian. Maybe that's why you're at church. Maybe just to keep on the right side of God. It's a good thing to come to church. But it's a good thing to want to be on the right side of God. But to, to think you can do it by coming out to church once a week or once every so often. Just to keep God on your side. It's a wrong thing. It's a good thing the wrong way. You can't earn your way to the Redeemer. Can't manipulate your way into God's favour. Maybe some of you young folk are growing close to a boy or a girl, but not a Christian, and you are. You're beginning to think, well, if I go out with them, if I go into a relationship with them, well, maybe they'll see what it's like being a Christian and they'll become a Christian. It's a good thing to want them to be saved. It's a good thing to want their salvation. It's the wrong way to go about it. It's against God's commands. And it's like you're standing in a chair and you're trying to pull them up and they're down beneath you on the floor. It's far easier for them to pull you down. It's the right thing, the wrong way. We've got to learn, we've got to submit to the principle that God's purposes are fulfilled in God's ways, in God's time, and not by our schemes, not by our manipulations. We've got to learn this and hold on to it. God's purposes and God's ways at God's time. How do we learn this? How do we get this into our heads? 
so that we don't try to manipulate God. We've got to develop biblical instincts. Abigail and I could listen to the same piece of music and we'd come to radically different opinions about it. I could hear Mozart and think, yeah, alright, yeah, okay. Abigail could hear the same piece by Mozart and she could appreciate the beauty and the wonder of that composition. Why is that? Well, Abigail has a musical ear and I most definitely do not have a musical ear. She's trained to recognise and hear and appreciate music. Despite Annie Mag's best efforts, I am not. I just don't have the ear for it. She's familiar with music and ideas and principles. I'm not. Her ear's tuned to it. Mine isn't. Likewise, when we read our Bibles, when we pray, when we meet with God's people in church, we study God's word in the midweek, when we talk with other Christians, we tune our spiritual ear to God. And we learn, that we develop biblical instincts. We, we, we learn what is right, what God expects, and how to go about it. And then we know the right thing to do in the right way. Approaching the Redeemer, not by our own schemes. But, second thing we see, approaching the Redeemer by asking for his redemption. By asking for his redemption. It's midnight. Boaz begins to stir. He shivers and he's woken up by the cool breeze in his feet. Do you like your feet tucked in at night or do you like them sticking out the bed? I like mine tucked in, nice and cosy. Uh, Boaz, same as with me, likes his feet tucked in. After a while, feet get cold, he gets a chill, he wakes up. And in his grogginess, perhaps he, he gropes for the covers to throw them over his feet and smells perfume. It's not a smell you often get amongst the men on the threshing floor. So he, he blinks and he tries to wipe the sleep away from his eyes and it's pitch black and there's no street lights, no light of any kind. Trying, where's this coming from? And there's an object at the bottom of his bed and first it says, and there, a woman. Our translation doesn't really capture it. It's just, there, a woman. What is this at the end? It's a woman. How is Boaz going to respond? He cut the air with a knife. The tension. Is he going to cry out? Is he going to blow the cover of secrecy? Is he thinking that Ruth is making advances? Is he going to be angry with Ruth? Who are you? He whispers. Ruth, of course. The adrenaline's pumping through her. She hasn't slept a wink all night while she's been waiting. He says, I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you're my kinsman redeemer. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you... You're a kinsman redeemer. What do you mean by this thing? Spread the corner of your garment over me. There's two things she means. Remember back to in the field in chapter 2 and verse 12. Boaz says to Ruth, they've introduced themselves and Boaz knows what she's done for Naomi. He says in chapter 2 verse 12, The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given you by the, the Lord under whose wings you've come to take refuge. And Ruth remembers this. She's held on to it. And she takes Boaz back to the field and says, In the field you prayed that God, the Lord would, reap, would repay me for sheltering under his wings. Now you shelter me under your wings. You be the answer to your own prayer. You be the means by which God blesses and protects me. And it's more than 
than, than just taking him back to that field. She's outright asking Boaz to marry her. This image of the talking of, of, of taking under the wings, that was the, the colloquial way about talking of, about marriage. Man would hold out his, his long overgarment and the woman would come underneath under his arm. It's a sign of the new relationship that there was in marriage. A new provider. And this says, let me in that spot. Take me under your wing. Marry me. Do you see it? All Naomi's schemes and manipulations. Ruth approaches the Redeemer and asks him to redeem. She asks him for grace and love. Ruth comes in humility. Look at her words. She says, I'm your servant. You're the Lord. You're the master. I'm the servant. I'm nothing. Comes in humility. She comes and she seeks refuge from the Redeemer. Take me under your wing. I trust you. Be my refuge. She appeals to his status as Redeemer. Says, you are the kinsman Redeemer. You are the saviour for me. Do you want to know how to become a Christian? Here you have it. We come and we ask. How do you approach the Redeemer? We ask for redemption. We ask for grace. Verse 9 is our plea to Christ. We come in humility. Say to Jesus, I'm your servant. You're Lord. I am nothing. We seek refuge. Take me under your wing. I trust you. It's the image of the mother hen again. Shielding her chicks from from the attack, from the danger. The Redeemer shields us by himself. We appeal to his status as Redeemer. We say, you are my Redeemer. You are the only Redeemer. You are the only Saviour. If you want to become a Christian tonight, how do you do it? You ask. You seek grace. You come to Jesus and you ask for mercy. Maybe you are at the point tonight in your spiritual journey where you are gaining an understanding and you don't yet want to become a Christian, but you know that you should. You know all this is true, but you just you don't want it in your heart. You know it's right, but you don't feel it. You don't feel a desire. You need to go back to chapter 2, verse 13 and make it your prayer. Our translation doesn't really capture it very well. It's, it's really chapter 2, verse 13. Ruth says, let me find favour. You need to come to God and say, let me find favour. Because that's where it starts starts with God's favour. starts with His work in our lives. Those of us who are Christians, this is how we started the Christian life. We came to our Redeemer and we asked for love and mercy and grace and redemption. This is how we continue it. Every day, coming and asking for grace and mercy and love. Coming in humility, asking for grace, asking Him to redeem. We're saved once for all. Nothing can change that. But we need grace every single day. So we need to come every single day and ask for grace. Every day. Approaching the Redeemer not by our schemes and manipulations but by asking. Finally, approaching the Redeemer the Redeemer's response. How does the Redeemer respond when we come to him? When we come and ask like Ruth does to Boaz. A moment of great tension between verses 9 and 10. Ruth holds her breath. It must have felt like an eternity to her. Here her heart pounding. The silence seems to go on 
and on. She's just asked Boaz to marry her. What's he going to say? How's he going to respond? Is he going to take advantage of her? Is he going to send her away in disgrace? Is he going to refuse? Verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter. The Lord bless you. In the, the darkness of the night and, and all the, the shadiness of, the, of, the, of, what's, of what's happening and the, the, the darkness of Naomi's scheme and all that's in the euphemisms and the double entendres, Boaz's righteousness shines bright. Nothing shady or immoral is going on here. That's not who Boaz is. It's not who Ruth is. He doesn't take advantage of her. He blesses her. He blesses her. He's a righteous and pure redeemer. And the redeemer responds with blessing. The Lord bless you, my daughter. So it is for those who approach Jesus, our redeemer. When we rest on his grace and his mercy, we are blessed. And he gives us blessing. In him is real blessing, real happiness, real joy, real satisfaction, real delight, real fullness. He blesses when we approach him. In the second half of verse 10, Boaz says that Ruth hasn't gone after the obvious targets. She hasn't gone after the young men or the eligible bachelors who could offer her status. Hasn't gone after the rich who could offer her money. Hasn't gone after the poor who could offer her love. She comes to the one who can redeem. She ignores the obvious targets and comes to the one who is able to redeem. Other things might appeal to us more than Jesus to give our lives to. In comparison to the joys and pleasures of this life, he seems very plain and ordinary. He seems like nothing. Being a Christian doesn't seem like a, a great life to, from the outside. It doesn't seem like a great saviour. Isaiah says there's no form or majesty that we should look at him. There's no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, he's acquainted with grief. He's as one from whom men hide their faces and was despised. We esteem him not. He's not the obvious target. Take spiritual insight to look and see his attractiveness. To see the beaten, bloody, naked figure who's dying in face-contorting agony on the cross. He doesn't look like the King of Glory. Take spiritual insight to see the King of Glory crucified on the cross. So blessed are you if you go after him as your redeemer, as your hope in life, as the one who can redeem. How does the redeemer respond? How does words in verse 11? Now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. I will do for you all you ask. And when you come to Jesus, when you ask for redemption... He says exactly the same thing. I will do for you all that you ask. He stands with his arms wide open. He says, I'll do it all. I will redeem you. He's willing to pay the high price. The price of giving his life on the cross. That your sins would be punished. That you could be righteous and pure in God's sight. He's willing. I will do for you all that you ask. Boaz will do it because he loves Ruth. 
because Jesus loves us, he will redeem us. Our Redeemer delights in us. When we come and ask him for redemption, it's because he's been pulling us. He's been bringing us to him. We love because he first loved us. God changes our hearts and draws us to him so that we seek him. And our Redeemer's love far surpasses Boaz. Boaz loves the lovable. Boaz says, all the time know that you're a woman of noble character. He loves the lovable. Jesus loves the unlovable. We're not attractive to him. We're sinful. We're rebels. The moment we're born, we hate him. And yet he loves us. And he redeems us. And he pays the price for us. Verse 12 Imagine Ruth has breathed an enormous sigh of relief. And then there's one final moment of tension introduced. Boaz says, But there is a Redeemer nearer than I. There's a stumbling block. There's a barrier in the way. Will the barrier come between the Redeemer and his love? You'll find out in three months' time. But it does show us this. Boaz isn't redeeming because he has to. Someone else whose job it is, who's closer, who, has to, who, who ought to do it. So Boaz isn't doing it because he has to. He's doing it because he wants to. He's doing it because he loves Ruth. Our Saviour doesn't redeem out of necessity. He does it out of love. He saved you because he loved you. And so as the first light of dawn creeps over the horizon at Bethlehem, in the coolness, the clearness and stillness of dawn, the Redeemer gives Ruth a token of his love. She folds over that long outer garment. She creates a sack with it. He pours into it six measures of barley. That's probably between 60 and 100 pounds of, of coal. I measured my suitcase for Australia last night and it was 45 pounds, I think, because I panicked and thought that was the kilograms. So that's a large suitcase this size. He gives her 60 to 100 pounds of grain. A token of his love. To sign the Naomi of his promise to redeem. To sign the Ruth of his love. And so is our Redeemer. He gives us signs and tokens of his love. The sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Reminders to us that he loves us so much. That he gave his body to be broken. His blood to be shed. So that we could be redeemed. Sign that he's cleansed us and that we're part of his people. He's given us the Holy Spirit, a seal, a deposit, a down payment of our future, a foretaste of the good life to come in heaven. What it'll be like to have God's eternal presence. All the good things of this life, our families, our homes, our friends, our relationships, our spouses, our work, our health, all of them gracious down payments on the fullness of life to come. Tokens of his love. So we finish. Ruth struggles home in the early morning, like pecking as she carries up this uh, huge suitcase worth of grain. And Naomi hears the door open and she calls out, How did it go, my daughter? Literally, it's, Who are you? It's, What's your status? Are you engaged or not? And Ruth shows her a sack of grain. And says, he told me not to return empty-handed. What did uh, Naomi say when she returned to Bethlehem? 
the Lord has brought me back empty. And Boaz says, don't return empty handed. She comes with her hands full, a foretaste of the fullness to come. So as we close tonight, how are you going to return home tonight? Will you return home full of the assurance of your Redeemer's love? Treasuring the tokens of his love that he's given us. Are you once more going to go out that door empty handed. Refusing to approach the Redeemer. How will you return tonight? Amen. Lord our God we praise you that you are the God who has an attentive ear. A listening hearing ear is listening out for the cries for mercy from uh, sinners on earth. Lord, we acknowledge that if you should record our sins, none of us could stand before you, for we're all sinners, and not least among our sins is how we've tried to approach you by our own schemes and manipulations, trying to earn our way into your favour, trying to, to, to make you redeem us, or forgive us for trying to earn and work our own salvation. But Lord, we worship you, we praise you, for we can wait on you with sure hope, with confidence, because you are a God of steadfast love who has promised that he will redeem his people. Who by his son's death on the cross redeems them from the penalty of their sin, redeems them from the power of sin in their lives. And who will, when the sun comes again, redeem them from the presence of sin in their lives. So Lord, we wait for you. For redemption in abundance. Full, complete, total redemption is found in you. We worship you. We thank you that you gave of yourself to redeem us. Lord, we pray that you keep us humble. That we will always approach you seeking the things that we need. And for those in our midst who haven't yet come and asked the Redeemer to save them. May they do so tonight. May they not leave this building empty-handed, but may they go back assured of their Redeemer's love. We ask it all for the glory of the Redeemer, and in his name. Amen.